Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me this morning uh, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 6. And if there is someone near you that does not have a Bible, just if you don't mind, if you would just share a little bit. We're going to be moving down uh, around uh, to a number of different places in Scripture. Um, but this morning, as Julian mentioned earlier, it's in the bulletin. Uh, I just really believed and felt to begin a sermon series on its time. Just felt that phrase drop into my heart recently uh, that the Lord has impressed upon me that it's time. It's time for a number of things, and we're going to get into what those things are uh, in future Sundays as, as just preach these different messages uh, as the Lord gives them to me. But I just felt that today we needed to know that it's time for salvation. Um, we are, in many respects, you know, ruled by time. Someone once said these words, they said, lost time is never found again. You cannot go back into time. We all are fascinated, at least I was when I was a kid, fascinated by anything to do with, you know, the, the science fiction idea of time travel, of going back in time. I used to think, I wonder what it would be like. And of course, you know, any, any kind of movie that comes out about traveling back in time, I'm usually all over that at some point. It's fascinating to me that, that science could dream up, and they have not, but in science fiction, you can dream of anything, that you could actually go back in time and see what it was like to live in the Middle Ages and Go back even further than that and even see what it was like to live uh, in, in more difficult times. Maybe go back during the time of, you know, the forming of this nation and, and the feeling that was, was happening in the 13 colonies and all of that. It holds a little bit of fascination to me. But we know that reality is we cannot go back in time. We can't go back to fix anything. We can't go back to change anything. What has happened in the past has happened. You can't undo it. You can't delete it. There is absolutely nothing you can do to erase it. It's done. That's why the Bible speaks usually in present and future terms. When it deals with the past, it deals with it in such a way as to say, here's what was done, but now here's what can be done and can maintain or remain for the future. Our lives are so focused and centered on time. Think about how time essentially rules pretty much everything that we do. You get paid for the time you put into work, usually. You have to be at work at a certain time and cannot leave until a certain time later in that day. Just out of curiosity, how many of you stroll in late to work every... Uh, Nancy, come on. I, you know what? I asked that question, and I knew Nancy was going to raise her hand. I knew it. And yet, her boss loves her, by the way. They will never fire Nancy, no matter how late she is. Nancy's the only one. You're the exception to the rule, Nancy. I, I got to tell you. 
But most of you, the majority, you get into work not on time, but usually a little bit early, right? If you're early, you know you're going to be on time. Hint, hint. Just, you know. I'm not Nancy's boss, so I, you know, it has nothing to do with me, but that's between her and her boss. But you get paid for that time. You go to work on time. In fact, if you take public transportation, you have by now figured out the connecting trains or buses or taxis, whatever it is that you take to work. You have figured out what time they leave a certain station that you have to be standing at and be ready to be there, you have your how many of you have your alarm clock set for the same time every day? Yes, you do. We have our alarm clock set for the same time. We get up uh, at that time. We are slaves to time. Time rules everything. In order to get to work on time, you have to leave your house at a certain time. Most of us eat our meals at the same times every day. And, and we don't often deviate from that, other than maybe on the weekend, when you're free and you have a little more time on your hands. If you've ever been late for an appointment, it's because you spent too much time somewhere else doing something else for that period of time. You go on vacation, usually, at a specific time of the year, and only take so much vacation time, because your employer says... That's all the time you can have. We are ruled by time. When you make an excuse to get out of something that you don't really want to do, usually your response is, I don't think I'm going to have time. Or it's something that you were supposed to do, and your wife says, why didn't you do it? You say, my wife's laughing. You say, I say, honey, I didn't have time. I didn't have time. And yet, it's funny how in life, there are certain things that we always make time for. Super Bowl Sunday comes around. I don't have time to watch the Super Bowl. Oh, yes, you do. You've made time to watch the Super Bowl. When, time, when the Blackhawks were playing my Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup, I made time. I'm not even a big, huge fan of hockey, but I made time to watch the Bruins lose. I made time for that. Time, brothers and sisters, friends that are here, you need to know that we are ruled by time. But I believe with all my heart, and in fact, the Bible points this out in 2 Corinthians if you're there, chapter 6 and verse 2, I want you to see the time that God says is the time for salvation. And it's salvation from sin. I know that a lot of churches don't like to talk about sin anymore. We don't even, we live in such a relativistic world in the postmodern era, and there are many people who say, doesn't even exist. But you look around you in the world and there is absolutely no doubt in my mind sin exists, that its evil is still there. And, but the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. It says, for he says, Paul is quoting from the prophet Isaiah, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. 
Now Paul is going to interpret what the Old Testament writer Isaiah says for the present time. And he says this, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I want you to just look at that word in the NIV, favor. It says, now is the time of God's favor. Do you know what favor means? It is our equivalent of grace. Now is the time of God's grace. Now is the time of God's favor upon your life. Do you know that God is absolutely for you? He's not against you. Even the very worst of us that have gone through life and we've tried one thing after another after another, even in all of that, God was not against us. He was for us. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 5, I believe in verse 8, that God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That shows that God has never been against mankind. He has always been for mankind. But today I want to present to you a number of situations. Really tell you a little bit about some stories of the Scripture. We're going to go to those in just a moment. But I want to give you three situations where people seized the moment and found forgiveness in Christ. They seized that moment and found forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Turn over in the New Testament to the book of Luke, chapter 19. Luke 19, and we're going to go and read down through to verse 10. Luke 19. And I want, to meet, I want you to meet a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Scripture tells us about Zacchaeus that, and we'll read this in a moment, that he was a short man. So short, in fact, that he could not see over anybody in a crowd. It seems as though he couldn't see over any of the shortest people in the crowd. Let's read his story, shall we? Starting at verse 1 down through to verse 10. The Bible says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. That job of being a tax collector was a very hated position. It was hated by many because, well, let's face it, who of us really likes the IRS? We would prefer that they just go away, you know? Stop bothering us every April 15th for the previous year. This was his job. And he was hated not only because... He was a tax collector, and nobody likes to pay taxes. He was a tax collector who was ripping people off. The Bible says he was a wealthy man. We'll see this in a moment. It says he wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. When Zacchaeus reached the spot, he looked or when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, "Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today." 
So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus always does, folks. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's what I call repentance of sin. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus was not necessarily interested in the religious crowd. Now I know today, this is a place of worship for believers. But we welcome everybody and anybody into this place, whether you're a believer or not. Because we want everyone to know that Jesus has a plan and a purpose for your life. This man, Zacchaeus, was a man who had gained wealth by literally stealing from people in their taxes. Caesar said, and Rome said, we're going to have you become a tax collector, and we want you to collect, let's just say, 10%. By the time Zacchaeus got the message to the people who were coming to pay their taxes, Zacchaeus had upped the charge to about 20%. He was pocketing 10 and giving the 10 that was owed to Caesar. And so he was becoming a wealthy man. And in fact, everybody looked at him like he is a sinner. They knew he was ripping them off, but they also knew they could say or do nothing about it. You see, the only one who could change the situation was somebody who could change the heart. And his name was Jesus. When Jesus stepped into Zacchaeus' home, he stepped into his life, and he changed this man's heart forever. All of a sudden, Zacchaeus is ready to give half of his possessions to the poor, and not only that, on top of it all, he was going to pay back those he had cheated, which he confessed right there he had done so. He was going to give back four times the amount that he had cheated them on. And brothers and sisters, I want you to know that at that moment, Zacchaeus, he could have shunned Jesus. He could have looked around at all of the goods that he had acquired and all of the wealth that he had. And folks, there are people in the world today who are so slaves to materialism that the idea of even giving just the smallest amount to, to, to God and to the ministry of the Lord, it, it, it just grates against them. Their possessions mean more to them than a relationship with God. But, but Jesus stepped into Zacchaeus' home and it, Zacchaeus changed in that moment and he recognized the error of his way as the holy Jesus came into his place and let him know that he cared about him enough to step into his home. I want you to know that no matter what you have done in your life, you know we can't undo it. We can't fix it. We can't change it. We would love to change some of the things that have happened in the past, and we can't do it. But I want you to know that Jesus does not just love His church. 
He loves mankind. He loves you today. If you're here, you've never maybe heard a message like this before. Maybe you've never been in a service like this before. I want you to know that God loves you more than anything in this world. You, above every other creation, were created in the image of God. You were created for Him. You were created to worship Him. That is our purpose and our plan in life. And yet, at the same time, God does great things through people as He comes into their hearts. You can imagine the charities, the local charities at that point when all of a sudden here comes Zacchaeus. He's coming in with bags of money and he's saying, here you go, this is for you. Can you imagine what took place at that moment when when Zacchaeus walked through the door carrying all half of his wealth and giving it back? Can you imagine how people reacted when all of a sudden he had cheated them out of 10% and now they're getting back four times the amount that he had cheated them? All of us, they're looking at him like, what happened to you? Zacchaeus was somebody who seized the moment. Jesus stepped into his home and he wasn't going to let that day escape him without letting Christ not only into his home, but into his heart. I want to encourage you today. Open up your heart. I'm not asking you or anybody in this place to join a church. Though I believe in the local assembly. I believe in going to church. I believe that it's important. But I want you to know that even above it all, church means nothing unless you become a worshiper. Unless you become somebody who opens their heart to the Savior and says, Lord, I want to live for you. There isn't anybody in this room today who lives perfectly. Nobody. Not even me. I'm the pastor of the church. Everybody looks to me often as the example of something. But you know, I fail from time to time. Anybody in this world who says that they are just doing it all perfectly, they are lying through their teeth. Nobody can do it perfectly. But we trust in what Jesus Christ has done. He was the one who did it perfectly. And then when He did it perfectly, when He had lived perfectly, He died on the cross as that sacrificial lamb who had come to take away the sin of the world. I want you to know Jesus, and we read the Scripture down in verse 10 of Luke 19, He came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come for the religious crowd. He came for the Zacchaeuses. He came for the ones that everybody looked and said, Oh yeah, if there sure is a sinner, there goes a sinner. He came for the sinner. He came for the one who was against God. That's the one that he died for. He died for all of mankind because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now there's somebody else who had an incredible experience. This guy was one of the religious crowd. Turn to Acts chapter 9. Go to the book of Acts chapter 9. And I want to read a little bit of the first part of this, probably down through, at the very least, to verse 6. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. I want to introduce you to a man named Saul. Later, his name was changed to Paul. We know him as Paul the Apostle, one of the contributors and writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the majority of the New Testament. But this was before, this was his B.C. days, before Christ's days. Let's take a look. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. 
The Bible says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which was their terminology for those new believers in Christ, those followers of Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on, the journey, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Let's go on and continue reading down a little bit just to get the full sense. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but he, when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now I'm going to stop reading there. But this man named Saul was, for all intents and purposes, he was a religious man. Incredibly religious. In fact, later on in Paul's epistles, as you read in the New Testament in his letters, he says, I was a Pharisee, I was a religious leader, which was one of the, the uh, different groups of Judaism in that day. He said, I was a Pharisee. He said, I lived a life that was exemplary according to the law of Moses. I could, I could wrestle with the best of them. I could debate the, with the best of them on the law and what the law said and what it meant. I was one of the best religious guys you could ever meet. I went to church every Sunday. I went to, you know, whatever the church had going on, I was there. But there was something in Saul's life that was missing. And it was a relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, he believed that he was doing God a favor by persecuting the Christians. And the Bible says that he sought letters from the high priest to go into Damascus and to root out any believers that were there, bring them back to Jerusalem, put them in prison, and who knows what would have happened to them. But on the way to Damascus, something happened. A miracle took place, and it was the miracle of salvation. A bright light shone to, so that it knocked this guy off his horse, blinded him in that moment, but at that moment, Jesus himself spoke to him. And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Saul was persecuting Christians. How was it that he could be persecuting Jesus? But you see, we are now in Christ. When we, we pray at the end of every month, Christy leads a group praying for persecuted people around the world. Do you know that those who are persecuted for their faith, it's not just happening to them. It is happening to Jesus. They are persecuting Him. And Jesus said to him, Why are you persecuting me? And He said, Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. 
In that moment, it became real to Saul of Tarsus that something had to change and something was about to change. We call it the Damascus Road experience. It was dramatic. It was amazing. It was miraculous. But the end result was that Saul gave his life to Christ in that moment. He thought he was doing God a favor by doing all of these things against Christians and against believers. But in the end, it was actually Jesus that he was persecuting. And now he would become one of the greatest apostles of all time and much of what we read in the new testament came from the pen of saul and as his name was changed to paul and it came from his pen under the inspiration of the holy spirit as the holy spirit breathed into him what god wanted to say paul began to write it with his personality and his style in the original greek he began to pen much of the new testament why because jesus showed up for him and had mercy upon this persecutor had mercy upon this religious guy who thought he had it all together but in the end was as empty and void in his heart of any kind of real spiritual concern and real spiritual relationship Jesus showed up and changed his life you see Jesus had already ascended into heaven and in that moment he came right back for this guy Saul I want you to know, brothers and sisters, when Jesus died on the cross, He died on the cross for the sinners. He died on the cross for the tax collectors, those guys who are hated. He died on the cross for the religious folks who think that going to church will change something. I want you to know, as, as I, I believe in going to church, I am all for it, but I want you to know that going to church no more saves you than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. It doesn't change you. It doesn't make you into that thing. The only one who can change your life is Jesus Christ. And He changed Saul's life so that he became a great, the, uh, the great Apostle Paul. In the end, Paul did much for the name of Jesus. He even was allowed to get to Rome. We don't know if he ever stood before Nero and professed his faith, but we know that the gospel through Paul advanced in cities around the world that changed those places forever and for all of eternity. God can do great and mighty things in and through your life. Turn to the book of John chapter 8, and I want to show you one more situation where somebody who is absolutely helpless sees the moment to become a follower of Christ. And this was where the mercy of Jesus was shown. Somebody once defined mercy as simply this, that God won't kill you. And I, I, I think that that's probably a pretty good definition of what mercy is. But the mercy of Jesus was shown in this passage of Scripture. John chapter 8, starting at verse 2. And I'm going to read down through to verse 11. The Bible says this, At dawn He appeared again in the temple courts, that is Jesus, where all the people gathered around Him, and He sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, those religious guys, brought a woman caught in adultery. The great question has been raised, where was the man? Why didn't they bring the man? We don't really know that. So we won't speculate. But brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught 
in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they now? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This woman represents those who go after all kinds of things. Things that can drag them down in life, whether it be an addiction, something that gets them for the moment, at least for the moment, they can forget about life, they can forget about everything that's going on. And yet the Bible tells us that this woman was dragged before Jesus, thrown to the ground, and condemned by the religious leaders of the day. And yet Jesus, who lived absolutely perfectly, He lived a perfect and holy life, He eventually said, and when the crowd had dispersed, as he said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone, he looks at this woman and said, where are those who are accusing you? Isn't there anybody to condemn you? And she said, looked around, no, Lord, there is no one. And he said, no, I'm not going to condemn you either, but I want you to go and sin no more. In other words, don't go back to the same mess. Don't go back to the same kind of junk that got you into this place and got you here in the first place. But go and live a life that honors me. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that at whatever stage or whatever point you are in your life, I want you to know that Jesus can rescue you. Jesus can save you. We understand salvation. We understand about being saved. We we could we somebody is rescued from drowning. We say, well, somebody saved them from drowning. Well, it's the same idea that Jesus can save us from sin, that he can rescue us from drowning in sin. I want you to know that he gave his life on Calvary. He gave his life on the cross so that he could rescue you from sin. He loves you more than anything else in this world. He cares for you and he has done everything possible to let you know that he can save you from sin. I want us now to just look at two situations where people squandered the time of their opportunity to know Christ. Go back over to Luke 19. And there is one verse of Scripture that I want to read to you. You see, it's possible to squander opportunities. I don't know about you, but from time to time... You know, that you just want to sort of relax, you know, do something, whether it's watch TV or you want to, you know, go for a walk or go for a bike ride or you want to do something to just sort of pass the time. But you know that in the back of your mind, maybe you've got some work that you have to do in ho at home or you've got 
a project for your boss that's sort of overdue and you know you should be working on it or you know the young people that you have schoolwork that's doing you know you should be doing the schoolwork but you know you, you just want to relax you want to play a video game you want to do something different than really hunkering down to work and to do what you need to do we call that squandering time we call that wasting time there are a couple of people that I just want to point out a couple of situations from the New Testament where there were those who squandered their opportunity. They squandered the time that they had. Luke chapter 19 and verse 42. This is after Jesus had entered Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. He had just come through and now He is there. He is standing there looking out over the city of Jerusalem. And He said these words. He said... And the Bible says, and he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. You say, but wait a minute. As I remember the Palm Sunday story, wasn't it that everybody was praising Jesus as he entered Jerusalem? Wasn't it that they were throwing palm branches and putting down the robes as he came riding on that donkey? into the city of Jerusalem. Wasn't it that they were, they were praising Him and they were worshiping Him? That's absolutely true. That was what took place. But there was a difference of their opinion of what Jesus was going to do and accomplish. You see, Jesus had the cross in mind. But the crowd had political deliverance in mind. You see, folks, Jesus is not so much concerned about what politician is in office in our country as He is about whether or not we are ready and willing to receive what He has done for us on the cross. He came into Jerusalem knowing that the cross was about a week away and that He would die on the cross for the sins of mankind. They weren't praising Him because they understood what the prophet Isaiah had prophesied about how He must suffer, how He has to die, how He has to be raised again to to life. They weren't praising Him for that. They were praising Him for what they thought He was going to bring in terms of earthly peace. That the Romans were going to be pushed out of their land and no longer controlling them. They didn't understand and they didn't see what really would make for their peace. Jesus said, if you had only known what makes for peace, what is it? The Bible lets us know that He is the Prince of Peace. It lets us know that He can give us a peace that passes all understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds. I want you to know, dear friend, that today you may be searching for peace in some area of life. Maybe you look for it by latching on to politics, or maybe you look for it by latching on to business and your job, and maybe you look for peace by latching on to a human relationship, an earthly relationship, and those are all fine. There's nothing wrong with those things, but those things do not give you lasting peace. There is only one who can give you peace on the inside of your heart that no matter what storm rages in your life, no matter what problems come your way, there is going to be a peace of God on the inside of you that sustains you and helps you in the middle of your trouble. Jesus looked out over Jerusalem and He said, if you had only known what made for your peace, He was the one who could make peace in their hearts. And yet, in that moment, they squandered, they wasted the time that they had. And he said, now it's hidden from you. 
now it's hidden. You see, it's possible for us to miss the opportunity and that opportunity never to be revisited to us again. I hope today that you will hear me. Now is the time for salvation. It's time. Today is the day of salvation. There's one more person in this. I want to close with this. By the man over in the book of Acts, chapter 26. A man, a king, by the name of Agrippa, who at the end of Paul's ministry, Paul had had a great and tremendous missionary ministry. He had traveled that part of the world and gone to many different cities, many different places. He had established churches. He had strengthened churches. But now Paul was at the end of his life and at the end of his ministry, he was appealing to go before Caesar. It was only because Paul wanted to witness of the gospel in front of Caesar. And yet now he has to stand before this king and tell his story and tell what it was that he was doing and how God saved him. How Jesus had come to him and had given him a mission, a plan, and a purpose in life to go as a missionary around the world to establish churches and establish the kingdom of God in those places where they had never heard of Jesus Christ. And he stands before Agrippa and he finally comes down to that point where he asks him if he believes. He asks him if he believes in what Jesus has done and believe in what the law and the prophets testify about him. In fact, in verse 27, Paul says these words of Acts 26, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do, he says. And I want you to see one of the greatest wastes of time that could have ever occurred. It was an excuse. Listen to what he said. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time, you can persuade me to be a Christian? Do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? I want you to know that that man had a golden opportunity on that day. He had an, had an opportunity to confess that he believed in what the prophets, the Old Testament, testified about Christ and about what he would do. He had an opportunity in that moment, but he said, do you think in such a short time that you can persuade me? He hardened his heart in that moment. He toughened up and he said, you know what? This isn't for me. This is not something that I am going to latch on to. Listen, Paul, you're standing there in chains for this, for all of this. Do you really think in such a short time you can persuade me to become like you? Do you think you can persuade me to give up what what it is that I have in order to become a believer in Christ. And in that moment, he squandered his opportunity. In that moment, he let it slip through his fingers. Agrippa was one of those individuals who had it right there in front of them. The gospel had been laid out in front of him by Paul. And he let it go. I want to encourage you today. Jesus Christ came into this, earth, into this world not to condemn sinners. He came into this world to help them to come to faith in what He had done. My question to you is this.
What about you? What will your story be? We focused on three stories of those who seized the moment. They seized that opportunity to let Christ come into their hearts. But then we also saw the tragedy of the the people of Jerusalem letting that moment pass by. The tragedy of Agrippa. And there are others in in the Bible that we could talk about who allowed those things in that moment to slip through their fingers and to let it pass. I wonder what your story will be today. We have sayings to often motivate people to do things now rather than later. We say, there's no time like the present. We say, don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. One of my favorites is this. You start by starting. You start by starting. As inspirational as those are, and maybe we've been motivated by them to you know, to lose weight or to, to complete a difficult project at work. But it's my desire today as a pastor to see today those who will decide to follow Jesus with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. As a pastor, it's my desire to see those who would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You see, the Bible tells us that He loves you so much that He came to this earth to die on the cross for your sins. Every sin you ever committed was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And now simply by trusting in what He did for you 2,000 years ago, you can find forgiveness now, today, for your sins. You don't have to wait. In fact, the Bible seems to indicate that you shouldn't wait because we don't know what tomorrow holds for us. I want to invite you today to take advantage of this moment. To receive Christ into your heart. I believe that it's time for salvation. Not tomorrow, but now. We read the Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. It says, now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. The writer of Hebrews says, today if you will hear His voice. I believe today is so important. I close with this story from a personal level. He loves you more than you could ever know. I've used that phrase and said that in this message already a few times. But you know, I tell my daughters as I tuck them in at night that I love them. Often I find myself telling my oldest one that she will only know how much my wife and I love her when she has her own children one day. I then remind her that I never knew how much my parents loved me until she entered my life. All of a sudden, this little baby appeared and stole our hearts, grabbed our hearts in such a way that I will never forget that feeling. I will never forget that moment that she was born. When I first saw my firstborn born into this world, I thought my heart would absolutely explode with love. Imagine how God feels when we decide that we want to be born again into His family. Imagine how much 
he senses at that moment. You see, he has a love that is greater than ours, a love that will never quit. It will never, ever come to an end. His love is not fickle. It doesn't change. It does, there isn't anything about his love that we can look at and find fault in. His love is perfect. I love my children. I love my wife, but I do it imperfectly. I'm not the perfect husband, not the perfect father, but God is the perfect father. He loves you more than anything else in this world. I wonder if we could stand together right now.